You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Useless Information Retrocast, you'll hear a number of stories about love, marriage, and relationships, both the good and bad sides of them. For example, you'll learn about a wife who's upset with her husband because he had the strange addiction of eating the heads off of matches. Sounds tasty, doesn't it? Then there's a man who gave his wife a frozen baby elephant for Valentine's Day. And believe it or not, she was happy to receive that gift. Or how about the claim that every single kiss supposedly knocks three minutes off of your life? And then a doctor proposed a 10-year ban on kissing to slow down the spread of tuberculosis. Like that was really going to work. Well, all those stories, today's retro sponsor, the question of the day, and much more. It's all coming up next on today's Useless Information Retrocast. I am Steve Silverman, and this is the Useless Information Podcast. Useless Information. Well, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Now, before we start, I have a really big favor to ask of you. As you know, I'm now on a new network, that's Airwave Media, and they really don't know a lot about my audience yet, so they prepared a brief survey to find out who's listening, and that includes you. Now, the goal of this survey is to attract better advertisers to this show. And while I have nothing against Geico, I really don't, I'm guessing you found it just as annoying as I did on my old network when they'd run three Geico ads in the same episode, sometimes the same ad back-to-back. Well, by completing the survey, hopefully that won't happen again. Now, I did take the survey myself, and I did this for another podcast on the network that I listened to. And it really didn't take that long to complete. I don't know, maybe five minutes at the most. It's really just a bunch of checkboxes, so it's not that big a deal. Now, it is totally anonymous, and you can skip just about any question you don't want to share details about. But if you opt to provide your email address at the end, you'll be entered into a drawing to receive a $500 Amazon gift card. I have to say I'd love to win that card myself, but since I'm on the network, I decided to leave it blank so you have a better chance of winning. And just where can you find this incredible survey? Well, just head on over to www.surveymonkey.com r slash airwave. That's www.surveymonkey.com r slash airwave. Now, I know that's quite a mouthful, so I'll repeat the address at the end of the show. So, you know, get your pencils ready. Plus, I'll place a link on my website in today's show notes and, of course, up on Facebook. And now on with the show. And since February is the month of love, you know, Valentine's Day, I've selected a number of stories that somehow involve love and marriage. 
Now, it's not necessarily a Valentine's Day episode, but there is a bit of that mixed in as you're about to hear. So let's start with the first story. And this one I've titled The Matchhead Man, A Strange Tale of Addiction. A woman from Cleveland, Ohio named Mrs. Richard A. Coleman approached the Central Police Station on Monday, January 11, 1904, and sought help from Prosecutor Gott. She expressed a concern about her husband's strange habit of eating matchheads, and that made him cross, according to her. Mrs. Coleman informed the prosecutor that her husband had been indulging in this strange appetite for brimstone since their marriage several years ago. She was amazed when on their honeymoon her husband ate the heads off all the parlor matches. However, she soon realizes a regular habit of her husband, you know, whenever he wanted to drown his sorrows. Instead of going to a saloon, her husband would simply sit down on the parlor sofa and he'd fill his stomach with matchheads of various colors, such as red, green, and pink. He would then drink from the kitchen water bucket and go to sleep. Mrs. Coleman stated that he had developed such a taste for matchheads that he could consume a whole box of them in one sitting. Now, Mrs. Coleman put up with her husband's strange habit for a long time, and that was until a few nights earlier, and that's when he ate most of a box of matches and woke up at midnight. He was cross and angry, and he choked her. So she now wants to be left alone and is seeking help from the authorities. So Prosecutor Gott looked through his law books, but he couldn't find anything that prohibited a person from eating their own parlor matches. So he wrote a letter to Mr. Coleman asking him to come to the office and explain his behavior. The strange appetite of Mr. Coleman clearly became a topic of concern for his wife and authorities, and it remained to be seen what action would be taken in this matter. Our second story is titled, Dr. Stained Glass Struggle Against Daughter's Marriage. On August 30th, 1957, a respected family physician from Pleasantville, New York, that's Dr. Joseph A. Porcello, he made a bold move in protest against the Catholic Church's refusal to block the wedding of his daughter, Claire Frances Porcello. In a shocking display, Dr. Porcello threw four rocks at a stained glass window on the 50th Street side of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan. That was more than an hour after his daughter had already gotten married to her former high school English teacher, that's Frank Peters, inside the same cathedral. Now, despite being unaware of the ceremony, Dr. Porcello was quickly grabbed by others inside the cathedral. This is just after the new mass, and he was held for police. He was then arrested for disorderly conduct and pleaded guilty in Upper Manhattan Court. He was released on parole until his sentencing on September 13th. Fortunately, none of the four rocks that Dr. Porcello had pulled out of his medical bag managed to hit the window. He said, quote, I tried hard. I was angry, but I'm glad I did not hit a window. It was the hand of God that prevented that. The physician, who had no personal objections to Peters, a Princeton graduate student, simply wanted his daughter to wait until she was older and had written to the Pope and Cardinal Spellman to enlist their aid, but he received no reply. Dr. Porcello's wife, Frances, learned of the marriage from a reporter and expressed her disappointment, saying that they had asked the couple to wait another 10 months, which she considered reasonable. However, a spokesman for the New York Archdiocese explained that while parental consent is customary for marriages of those under 21, it is not an absolute requirement. Well, on October 1, 1957, Dr. Purcell sought to change his plea in probation court. 
His lawyer, Harry Hasselman, explained that Priscilla was under intense mental stress at the time of his original guilty plea and wished to plead not guilty. The magistrate assigned to the case, that's Larry Vitrano, directed Hasselman to see Magistrate Vincent Rao. He had previously received Dr. Purcell's original plea, and he granted him parole on August 30th. Now, according to Claire Francis Purcella Davis's obituary, she would go on to earn a BA from SUNY New Paltz and a master's degree from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, which is right down the road from me. She worked as a teaching assistant in the Wyndham Asha Jewish Central School and later as a teacher in the Troy City School District. Sadly, she passed away on December 30th of 2021 and was survived by her son, Peter Peters, and daughter, Laura Caceres, six grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. And next, we have a story titled, Dead Elephant, Her Valentine. I'm sure that's just what every woman wants. On February 14th of 1967, the city of Corvallis, Oregon welcomed a new resident. It was a 150-pound or 68-kilogram Indian pygmy elephant. Although the animal was deceased, it had been kept in a walk-in cold storage unit at Oregon State University until its new owner, that's Dwayne Williams, could stuff it. He had purchased it as a Valentine's gift for his 21-year-old wife. She said that she was pleased to receive the gift, but noted that, quote, it's not as big as I thought it would be. The elephant was originally purchased five years prior by a carnival owner, but it did not survive. So he had the elephant placed in cold storage as evidence in a case against a previous owner who he claimed had sold him a sick animal. But the plaintiff never returned for the evidence or paid the storage fee, and that led the Terminal Ice and Cold Storage Company in Milwaukee to auction it off to the highest bidder. Williams, an amateur taxidermist with an interest in wildlife, successfully bid for the elephant at an auction for $51. That's $460 today. That was just $1 more than an offer from the Midwest. He then placed the frozen elephant in the trunk of his car, and he brought it to Corvallis. A native of Tallahassee, Florida, Williams grew up surrounded by wildlife, and he collected specimens for mounting. At one point, he even had a small museum of preserved fish, fowl, and animals. But the 23-year-old scientist had a part with several of his prized mounts and preserved skins when he moved from Florida to Oregon. However, he still had a collection of specimens in deep freeze, and that included two beavers, a mink, a herring, or seagull, 20 mice and rats, and a golden eagle, which he confirms was legally obtained after hitting his car on the highway in Nevada. Williams' plan was to mount the baby elephant and sell it if the price was right, otherwise he was going to keep it for his grown museum. He also jokingly added he thought it could be an appropriate addition for the Republican Party. So I have a question for you. If you live here in the United States, and this may be true in other countries also, you're probably familiar with those heart-shaped sweetheart candies that are sold for Valentine's Day. You know, they come stamped with messages like, Be mine and kiss me. But do you know in what year they were first introduced? And as an added bonus, do you know what the machine that first made them, what was it originally created to produce? I'll give a little hint. It wasn't candy, but it was something similar to candy. Well, I'll leave you in suspense as to the answers to those questions until the end of the podcast. So don't go anywhere yet. There's more to come. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, boy, that was great, Danny. It was really great. Well, well, Ken Niles, am I glad to see you. Well, hello, Danny. Hiya, gang. You know, I've just finished writing a valentine to my favorite. Your favorite girl? No, my favorite beer, Pabst. Listen, a valentine today I've penned in praise of my blue ribbon blend. A beer that's welcomed far and wide, that's bought with confidence, served with pride. I love each blend. I love each brew, not 31 or 32. Blue Ribbon Beer, you know it's true. I love all 33 of you. Hey, I'm getting thirsty. Where'er folks go their beer to buy, Blue Ribbon's sure to satisfy. On Seidel's rim or glass's lip, it has the suds I love to sip. No better beer, no blend so fine. Oh, Papsty, be my valentine. I'll shout your praise for miles and miles. Your faithful boyfriend, Kenneth Niles. You said it. That commercial for past Blue Ribbon Beer is from the February 10th, 1945 broadcast of The Danny K Show, which ran on CBS radio from January 6, 1945 through May 31st of 1946. Now, the premise of this particular episode was that guest Jack Benny sent Danny a present, so Danny reciprocated by sending Jack a valentine. The variety show was one of the most popular on radio at the time, and Kay earned a lot of money as a result. He was reportedly paid $16,000 per week, which is around $240,000 today but he asked to be released from his contract in mid-1946. Well, CBS did agree, but Kay was forbidden to host another show for one whole year, and they also limited his radio appearances on other shows. As for Pabst Blue Ribbon, the company got its start as Best Select, not Pabst, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1844. Just how the company became known as Pabst begins with Frederick Pabst marrying Maria Best in 1862. You see, she just happened to be the daughter of Philip Best, who was the founder of the Best Brewing Company. After that, Frederick became a brewer in his father-in-law's brewery, and he worked his way up through the company. When Philip retired to Germany in 1867, Pabst and Emil Shandon, that's Maria's brother-in-law and then vice president of Best Brewery, they worked together to make the company one of the largest in the nation. Pabst got a really big boost with the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 because that destroyed many of Chicago's breweries and Milwaukee went on to become the top beer-producing city in the United States. After Shandon passed away in 1889, Pabst became president and Lizette Shandon, that's Emile's widow, she became vice president. Then, in 1890, Pabst changed the company's name from Best to the Pabst Brewing Company. 
Now, Pabst claims its flagship beer was renamed Pabst Blue Ribbon after winning America's Best at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. Unfortunately, there's no evidence to prove that ever happened. Nonetheless, the beer had won other awards, and Pabst started tying silk ribbons around each bottle as a sign of pride and, of course, smart marketing. And, of course, after that, customers soon started asking for the, quote, Blue Ribbon beer. Pabst hit its peak sales of 18 million barrels in 1977, but things just went downhill from there. Sales began to drop off, and the company moved its headquarters out of Milwaukee in 1996, and sales dropped below 1 million barrels by 2001. At the time of this recording, the company is currently located in San Antonio, Texas. And now it's time for a section I call Footnotes History. And for those of you who are new to the podcast, these are very short stories that made the news many, many years ago. And since they're so short, they really can't be researched any further, so I read them word for word. And this first story appeared on page 5 of the Hartford Current on March 27th of 1927. And the headline reads, Every kiss takes three minutes from lover's lifespan. Gunnison, Colorado, March 26th, Associated Press. A kiss shortens human life three minutes, students in the Department of Psychology at Western State College have decided. A survey in genetic psychology showed that a kiss causes such palpitation of the heart that the extra beats of the organ amount to the normal numbers taking place in three minutes. Figures that are interesting, if true, show that 530 kisses would shorten life by one full day and that 3,360 kisses would eliminate one week. Okay, I guess if you want to live longer, who cares about smoking? Just stop kissing and you will live longer. Now, this next story does have some Italian names in it. I'm sure I'm going to butcher them, so I apologize in advance. My Italian just isn't that good. Anyway, this is from the September 23rd, 1928 publication of the Tampa Bay Times. This appeared on page 22. The headline reads, Two lovers marry after waiting for 60 years. Wow. Rome, September 22nd. An unusually romantic marriage which took place at Pedagogy, Sicily, has created considerable comment in Italy. Two octogenarians, Pasquale Scalambro and Mariana Maranzano, children of the soil, were married in the parish church where there was such a congregation as had never before been seen gathered together, while those who had come in from neighboring villages thronged the town to wish good luck to the bride and bridegroom. For sixty long years, Mariana had waited for her Pasquale to return from the distant city whither he had gone, a handsome young man, when Mariana's parents refused to allow them to marry. For sixty long years, she had shut herself up in the parental cottage, refusing several offers of marriage, and only appearing in public to attend early Mass on Sundays and Saints' Days. At last, Pasquale came back, bowed with his 80 years, still single, still thinking of his old sweetheart. And when he found out she had been faithful to him and that there were no longer any parents or other relations to interfere, he asked her to share what remained of his already long life and enjoy in peace the little nest egg he had put by. The Hillanese Courier della Sera, which, like other important Italian papers, dedicated an article to the touching little episode, 
remarks that the couple have really gained by their long years of waiting. Had they married 60 years ago, they'd be nothing more than two companions, associates, or friends. Perhaps they would have disliked one another by this time. Instead, in their old age, they're able to begin life anew with the rosy light of romance to guide them. They ought to be grateful to their once obdurate parents who made it possible. This next story appeared on page one of the Morning Post on November 8th of 1930. The headline reads, 10-year ban on kissing urge to have deaths due to tuberculosis. Patterson, November 7th. 10 kissless years might have the tuberculosis death rate, Basil G. Eves, representative of the National Tuberculosis Association, told the Patterson Tuberculosis and Health League today. Quote, If every man, woman, and child would refrain from kissing anybody for 10 years, it would probably result in a 50% decrease in the tuberculosis death rate. However, it's impracticable to expect any such sacrifice. At least he was realistic about the chances of that happening. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. This next story appeared on page one of the March 5th, 1937 publication of the Buffalo News. The headline was, Dog Found to Have Ring Lost Three Years Ago. Niagara Falls, March 5th. Three years ago, Mrs. David Hahn, 17 Hyde Park Boulevard, lost her wedding ring. She searched a home but could not find it. This offered something of a mystery as she was sure that she lost it somewhere in the house. The ring was found Thursday, but the finding presented as much of a mystery as the loss. Mrs. Hahn said today that she fed her pet dog Thursday, and before the animal ate, he spat something from his mouth. It glistened on the linoleum and upon investigation proved to be the lost ring. Mrs. Hahn said she believed that the dog picked the ring up after she lost it and that it probably has clung to one of his teeth until it became loosened Thursday. It was undamaged and as bright and shiny as when she lost it. But I'm guessing she used a little bit of soap and water on it before she put it back on her finger. And the last footnote today was from the December 5th, 1964 publication of the Akron Beacon Journal and appeared on page one. Plan backfires. Miss Mrs. Mrs. with $500 gift. And by the way, $500 back then would be about $4,850 today. Evansville, Indiana, Associated Press. A 19-year-old Evansville girl wanted to get married, but her boyfriend was too poor. So Patricia Ann Kramer mailed Gary Bug, 20, Evansville, for $100 bills and this unsigned note. Quote, Use it wisely, that's all I ask. Also try not to find out who sent this money to you because it is a gift. God bless you and your girlfriend the rest of your life. Also she mailed anonymously a $100 bill to a garage which was working on Bug's car. But did Gary ask Patricia Ann to marry him? No, 
he planked down $300 of the $400 for a new car. And that's not all. Police said that Patricia Ann signed a statement admitting theft of five $100 bills from the department store where she worked. All is not dark. The manager of the store said he would not press charges if the $500 is returned. I'm guessing she found a way to return that money. So early in the podcast, I'd asked you about sweetheart candies, you know, those little hearts that are purchased for Valentine's Day. And I had asked a two-part question. So did you know when they were first introduced and what the machine that made them, what was that originally intended to produce? The story goes back to Oliver R. Chase, who was born in England in 1821 and immigrated to the Boston area in 1847. And what he did was make lozenges by hand. And he did this using gum arabic, peppermint, and brown sugar. As demand increased, he invented and patented what would evolve into the first American candy machine. But originally, it was a lozenge cutter. And of course, that allowed him to mass produce large quantity of lozenges. Later, Oliver partnered with his brother Daniel and Silas Edwin to form the Chase and Company, and that later became the New England Confectionery Company, which is better known as Necco. His original lozenge machine, well, that became the machine to make Necco wafers. That became the company's flagship product. And if you have never had a Necco wafer, they're basically thin little disc candies. I have to tell you, I remember them well from my childhood. I really liked them although I do know some people hate them. Then, in 1866, Daniel invented a way to print sayings onto the candies. And basically what would happen is a stamp would press against a felt pad that was moistened with red vegetable coloring, and then it would press various sayings onto the candy. Now, these weren't in the shape of hearts. They were given out at weddings and similar events, and they had fun messages like, Married in pink, he will take a drink. Married in white, you've chosen right. And married in satin, love won't last. But the company struck gold in 1901 when they introduced their sweetheart conversational candies. Now early on they did come in other shapes like horseshoes, watches, and baseballs, but those are all long gone. It's just the shape of a heart now. Now Nickel made sweethearts all year, but they ramped up the color mixing and packaging starting in September for Valentine's Day. And how's this for a crazy number? They made about 100,000 pounds or 45,000 kilograms of hearts per day. And it all sold out within about six weeks. Then in 2010, they changed the classic pastel candy formula to a softer candy with new flavors and colors, and fans were not happy about the changes. In 2018, Necco went bankrupt, and the Spangler Candy Company bought the Sweethearts brand. Now, due to this, the Sweethearts weren't available for Valentine's Day in 2019, but they did come back in 2020 with the original flavors and messages. Unfortunately, many of the messages on those initial Spangler candies were often incomplete or missing due to manufacturing difficulties, but that was eventually resolved. So as I bring this episode to a close, I'll let you in on a little secret. That is that I didn't write much of what you just heard. You see, I decided to do an experiment, so I ran the original news articles for the first three stories, the retro sponsor information, and the sweetheart candy details through ChatGPT, and I let artificial intelligence write the stories. My conclusion? 
It did an okay job, but I had to reword some clunky parts. Perhaps the most noticeable error that I saw was on the very first story, which was about the man who ate the heads off of the matches. I felt that what the chatbot returned was a bit too short, so I requested that it add three paragraphs. Now, I expected it to rewrite the entire story, but instead it just wrote pure fiction. Three paragraphs about how experts were brought in to offer up their opinions as to why he was eating these match heads. It was just crazy. So did it save me any time? I would say definitely not. I think it actually took me longer this way. Was it accurate? I would say it was mostly accurate. A little clunky in some places, as I said. And would I use it again? I'll say maybe. But I have to tell you, sometimes it's just easier to do it myself. And probably the worst part was that it wasn't written in my tone. I didn't write it, so it was much more difficult for me to read. Anyway, I'll be back shortly with a full-length episode. I'm still hoping to record the interview with that woman who was on I've Got a Secret back in 1960, but we haven't scheduled a date to record that yet. Now, I'll keep the rest short. Just a reminder to go to www.surveymonkey.com r airwave and complete the survey for this podcast. As I explained earlier, now that I'm on a new network, they need to determine who my listeners are so they can attract better advertisers. And it really does take little time to complete. It's totally anonymous. And you can opt into a drawing to win a $500 Amazon gift card. I'll place a link to that survey on Facebook. I'll put it in the show notes for this episode. I'll put it on my website, which is uselessinformation.org. And if you also go there, you can find a contact form there to get in touch with me if you'd like. Again, the Useless Information Podcast is now part of the Airwave Media Network. And you can discover more great podcasts just like this one at airwavemedia.com. As always, thanks for listening and take care, everyone. Bye. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.